Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message.
you can do all the YouTube tutorials, you can get all the equipment, you can stand on the shore and watch them for hour on end, but you don't know nothing about surfing until you get in the water, and then you blow it over and over and over. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's worship ministry. They throw you in the deep end, and then you just blow it in front of the whole congregation over and over and over. And when you're, when you're a surfer at heart, you want to catch the waves of the Holy Spirit. That, that, Gracie, that's why I feel such a sweet connection to what's going on here with your family in this church, because y'all are surfers. And... And I, and so I've got a kindred heart. They said, here's what the surfer said to me. They said, when you get out in the water, you learn to read the ocean. They study the movements of the ocean until they master how the ocean works. They can they, they start to see where the big waves are forming. Am I positioned to capture it? Can I get to the sweet spot? Can I mount it? How far can I take it? You know, I think the Lord wants to give worship leaders tonight a fresh freedom in the Holy Spirit that when you catch a wave, take it all the way to the shore. A friend of mine said to me, he's a surfer, he goes, he says, they've got some surf, some pools in some cities in America that th there are these artificial pools where they create surfing waves. And people will bring their surfing equipment to this indoor pool and practice surfing. They're a thousand miles from the ocean and they're practicing surfing. His name was Bruce. Bruce says to me, it ain't nothing like surfing. He says, when you're in the ocean, the ocean is unruly. The ocean is untidy. The ocean is dangerous. It's rough and ugly. When you're in the ocean, you've got wind. You've got sand. You've got other people in the water. You've got sharks in the water. There's undertow. There's riptides. There's weather. There's reef. There's rocks. And... And he says to me, Bruce says, God doesn't want us surfing safe waves in an artificial environment. Let's get out into untamed Holy Spirit. Let's get out into unreserved Holy Spirit, unlimited Holy Spirit, unchained Holy Spirit. Let's get out into the ocean of the Holy Spirit's movements. Let's learn how to read the ocean of the Holy Spirit. How does he move? How does he work? Can we begin to say, oh, I think I'm seeing a wave beginning to form. Can I get to it? Can I capture it? Can we mount it? 
there's three things that cause surfable waves. Wind, tides, and the contour of the ocean floor. I didn't know until recently how important the contour of the ocean floor is. And when you find a place where the surfers like to congregate, I promise you there is something about the contour of the ocean floor in that location that produces surfable winds. The thing that produces a surfable wave is below the surface and you can't see it. There are foundational values in worship that if you will take them on will produce a contour in your ministry that will produce surfable waves. There are some churches that don't want surfable waves and the values they have adopted for worship, they'll never see one. If you're going to have surfable waves in your church, you've got to have some underlying foundational values that will produce surfable waves. So let me give you one of them. A value for all three song forms of Colossians 3.16. Psalms hymns, and spiritual songs. Most of the churches around the world only sing hymns. That's all they do. Hymns are songs of human composition. But that's not the only biblical song form. There's also psalms. Psalms are the singing of Scripture. You've got yourself 31,103 verses in your Bible that you can sing. And I'm, it, it, this might be, I don't know if this is an exaggeration, but almost zero of our churches sing scripture. The singing of Psalms is basically non-existent in the church. The singing of hymns is 99% of what we do. And then we have 1% spiritual songs. Those are spontaneous songs of the moment. Songs like lines like, uh, like Nicole kind of came up with at one point tonight, just singing something she had never sung it before and she just goes with it. A spiritual song. You've never sung it before. You'll never do it again. It's a song of the moment. And some of our churches, maybe 1%, I'm talking globally now, maybe 1% spiritual songs, 99% hymns, and zero singing of scripture. And here's what I think the Lord wants to do. I think he wants to give us a more equal distribution. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I'm going to give you a definition of, of spontaneous worship that the Lord gave me. Mitch, this one's really good. You're going to like it. Spontaneous worship. If you forget it, it's in the book. Okay. The freedom to move seamlessly between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
freedom to move seamlessly. Song, hymn, song, spiritual song, hymn, spiritual song, hymn, psalm, hymn, spiritual song, freely, like it was modeled for us tonight. And I know that you have seen it in this conference. Spontaneous worship. Surfers watch with their eyes, balance with their hands, and feel with their feet. <laughs> I invite you to stand. I want to pray. Let's just ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word of God tonight. Heavenly Father, we're asking for grace help in the Holy Spirit. Lord, may there be a, a freshness, a grace on the speaking, on the hearing, and may there be impartation tonight, changed lives by the grace and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you're seated, I invite you to find three, four people and just give them the title of tonight's message. Lead worship with your feet. the Ark of the Covenant. It 
It's one of the lowest moments in the history of the nation when the ark, which was the presence, the glory, represented the worship of the nation, the ark was captured. Turns out that it's going to be in Philistine territory for seven months. But it, it wasn't, didn't go so well for the, for the Philistines because they, they started developing tumors and cancers and people were dying. And they're like, you know what, I, I think it's because we've got the Ark of Israel in our land. And they said, well, let, let's, let's test it out. Let's let's." build a new cart, let's put the ark on the cart, attach two milk cows, and that is two cows that have just had calves. They're not going to want to leave their calves. But if they should leave their calves and carry that ark to the land of Israel, then we will know that all the these rats and these tumors and everything will know that it was the God of Israel fighting against us. And so they put the ark on a new cart, and sure enough, the two milk cows pulled the thing right straight for Israel. And, and the ark was placed in the home of a guy by the name of Abinadab. And it was in Abinadab's house for 40-ish, 40-something years, something like that until the time of David. When David becomes king, he captures the stronghold of Zion. He makes it his capital city, and he goes, I want to bring the ark to Zion. And so 2 Samuel 6 is the record of David bringing the ark to Zion. And if you know the story at all. You know that there's going to be two attempts at this. The first time is not going to go so well. The second time is going to go uh, better. And, uh, and so we're going to begin our reading. Both attempts are in the chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to begin our reading with verse 3. 2 Samuel 6 verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Asa and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Asa put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. <clears throat> God wanted the ark to be moved 
in a very specific way. The ark represented the worship of Israel. And God had given instructions about this in the scripture, but David didn't consult the scripture, and the whole thing goes bad. Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark, and when he does that, God strikes him for his error, and he dies. What was Uzzah's error? Numbers 4, verse 15. God told the Levites that when they are transporting the ark, that they are to put the ark, they are to put two poles through the ark and then carry the ark. Four Levites carrying the ark on two poles. And the Lord said to them, if you do it like that, then nobody will actually have to touch the ark lest they die. That was actually in, in, in the instructions. God says, I don't want you to die. Well, they didn't follow those instructions. And Uzzah, when he reached out and touched the ark, he is struck by God for his error, dies on the spot. It's almost like God was holding Uzzah responsible for something he didn't know. Uzzah's like, well, you know, I'm just trying to be helpful here. And God goes, you're a Levite. You should have known. And even though he was not, he was ignorant of this, God held him responsible. David should have known too, but David didn't consult the proper order. Asa didn't consult it, and it went bad. Now, I would like to suggest tonight that the transporting of the ark by the Levites is what worship ministries do today. It's the same ministry. We are moving the presence of God. We are taking God's people on a journey together into the heart of God. We are headed for Zion. Corporate worship is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. We are starting at point A, and we are headed for point B. We are going somewhere together in worship. There is a launch. There is a sense of journey, and by the grace of God, a sense of destination and completion. Corporate worship is more than just singing four songs. It is a journey. We're going somewhere together. We want to meet with God in Zion. And worship ministries are shepherds. We're pastors. We are leading the flock in the heart of God. Jesus joins us in the journey where two or three are gathered 
together. He joins up with you, and he, he goes on a journey with us together into the heart of God. So, if, if you can agree with me tonight that the ministry of the Levites carrying the ark on their shoulders as they should have, if the ministry of the Levites in transporting the ark is what we do today in worship ministry, if there's a correlation there, here's the question. What does this story have to teach us? Now, I've got more questions tonight than I have answers. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to this message tonight more to the Holy Spirit than to this microphone. Because this message is still in process for me. It's still kind of a message in the works. And it keeps on developing. And I think that God is going to speak some things to you tonight that will not be spoken over the microphone. So if you'll just open your heart to that, Lord Jesus, talk to me. Help me to hear. Because he's going to personalize. I think there's. it's going to be very personal for everyone in the room, the takeaway points of what God wants to say to us through the analogy of this story. So here's my first question. I got a bunch of questions. My first question, why did David move the ark with a cart? The answer seems to be that's how the Philistines did it. The Philistines put the ark on a new cart, and God blessed it. It went straight to Israel, and David's looking back at that going, well, it worked back then. God blessed it back then. God honored it on that occasion. I think if we build a new cart and move the ark on a cart, I, 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 I think he'll just bless it again. And instead of consulting scripture, he just copied the Philistines and put it on a Philistine cart. The cart was a Philistine invention. It went bad when Uzzah reached out to steady the ark. When his flesh took hold of the glory, the whole thing went bad. Because flesh and glory are a lethal combo. You know, we're all over here going, oh, Lord, send your glory. We want to see your glory. And God's like, all the flesh you got flopping on your platform. If I join my glory to all that flesh, it will not turn out so well. And I think he restrains his glory sometimes out of his kindness to us because flesh and glory are just not a very good mix. But to the church without mixture, he will give his spirit without measure. 
So worship leaders, let's ask the question, how can we move the presence of God not in the strength of flesh, but in the power of the Spirit? Talk to us tonight, Lord. Have we leaned on the flesh rather than in spirit and in truth? What does the Philistine cart represent? I'm just going to give you my answer. I'm going to suggest, at least for me, that the Philistine cart represents human mechanisms to move the presence of God in corporate worship. That's what it means for me. Human mechanisms to move the presence of God in corporate worship. Moving the room the way the Philistines do. So let me ask you a question. Are we getting our model of corporate worship from YouTube or from Scripture? Maybe you've gone to YouTube and watched the Philistine tutorials. Maybe you've seen the tutorials on cart mobilization. They're all over YouTube. The carts are impressive. They are efficient. They're expedient. They're attractive. They're contemporary. And they're reproducible. We have some fantastic carts on YouTube. And I'd like to launch this message by talking about the benefits of Philistine carts. I've got some benefits of Philistine carts. Now, as I get into the benefits of Philistine carts, if you pick up a little bit of sarcasm, your discernment will be good. Because I'm about to get sarcastic. Now, I want you to know it's intentional. Did you know that God gets sarcastic in the Bible? There's several times in Scripture where God got sarcastic. And so I think there is a place for holy sarcasm. I hope it stays holy right now. I'm going to try my best to stay holy with it as we get a little bit sarcastic. The benefits of Philistine cards. Here it comes. Number one. Yes, you can laugh. It's okay. Number one. Carts go further faster. It's because of those wheels. Oh, those sweetheart wheels on that cart. They really can roll along. In our text, three times in the text, it tells us that Abinadab lived on a hill. The Bible wants us to register this. Abinadab lived on a hill. So when they're moving the cart, you are supposed to envision a downhill thing. They put the ark on a cart with the wheels, attach a couple oxen to it, and the oxen start by pulling the cart. 
to go like this. And Uzzah reaches out his hand to save the ark from capsizing. Visualize a downhill ride. Visualize increasing momentum. Levites love carts. We love carts. You got momentum with a cart, and there ain't a Levite in the room that doesn't love momentum. We love crowd energy and enthusiasm and excitement, as opposed to putting that thing on your shoulder. Because when you put that thing on your shoulder, it just seems to take forever to get anywhere. We love those sweet cards. <clears throat> Benefit number two of Philistine cards. They make for shorter worship services. Oh, this is good. You're going to love this one. The faster that car goes, the sooner it gets to its destination. The sooner you get to your destination, the shorter your worship service. Hashtag sweet. When you've got your, yes, I'm still being sarcastic. When, when you've got yourself a good Philistine cart, you can take that 30-minute service and whittle it back to 20 and deliver in 20 minutes a 30-minute punch. And by the time you've got the thing back to 20 minutes, if you work real hard, you can get 20 back to 17. I'm telling you it's possible. And once you You've got your worship service cut back to 17 minutes, a little bit more creativity, and you can deliver in 15 minutes the same dynamic punch that you delivered in 17 minutes. And a Philistine cart can get that service back to 15 minutes. Everybody loves shorter worship services. Pastors love shorter worship services. Worship teams love shorter worship services. Nursery workers love shorter worship services. Parking attendants love shorter worship services. What a fantastic benefit of Philistine carts. Can I hear it tonight for Philistine carts? <laughs> Number three benefit of Philistine carts. This is just really fantastic tonight. Number three benefit of Philistine carts. They're smooth. Everybody knows riding is smoother than walking. Are there any golfers in the room? Any golfers in the room, you know riding is smoother than walking. And when you put that ark on a Philistine cart, it is so smooth. The Levites were happy with the cart. David was happy with the cart. The people 
people were happy with the cart. Everybody loved the cart except for one person. The one for whom the whole thing was for. And they're all going, this is so smooth. And God's like, actually, for me, this is rough. And what we call rough God's like, ah, now this is smooth for me. Wow. Wow. Benefit number four, by the way, smooth worship services. Give it up for smooth worship services. <laughs> number four benefit, Philistine carts. Philistine carts require less manpower. When you're carrying that thing on your shoulder, four Levites. Put it on a Philistine cart, half the manpower. We are talking half the salaries. We're talking half the admin. We're talking half the hassle. A Philistine cart, I mean, what a fantastic benefit. A Philistine carts, half the manpower. Number five benefit of Philistine carts. I think this might be my last one. Carts aren't nearly so exhausting. A good Philistine secret, let the wheels do the working. When you're walking that thing on your shoulders, it's hard work. When, you're, when you put that thing on your shoulders, it gets you right here. And then it gets you right in the small of your back, right there. And it gets you in your shoulder. And right in your neck, right there. city cart have you checked out the North Carolina cart how about the Atlanta cart we've got some fantastic carts I just got back from Ghana they've got a cart in Africa African cart all kinds of we have more gadgets and gizmos for Philistine carts today than the world has ever seen. I'm just going to list some of them for you, okay? Here it goes. Are you ready? I've got to read it. 
Strobe lights, floodlights, moving head spotlights, climate control, sound loops, multi-tracks, click tracks, pads, talkback microphones, auto-tune software, synthetic sounds, electronic tuners, pedal boards, electronic drum kits, avium, subwoofers, cameras, high-definition jumbotron screens, reverb, compression, equalizer, smoke machines, not to mention flags, banners, and, and, and streamers. We've got more stuff to enhance worship than human history has ever seen. And it is today more possible than ever to have smooth worship services that go further faster. Fully chosen. 
chosen because you are feeling your way forward with every step where you want to go in worship. You've got to feel the ground with every step. And I'm saying it tonight, Ethan, we lead worship with our feet. There's some places in worship you can only get to one step at a time. When the Levites carried the presence on their shoulder, they were watching with their hands. They were, they were watching with their eyes. They were balancing with their hands. And they were feeling with their feet. And like the surfer said, if you want to dance with God, you've got to watch with your eyes, balance with your hands, and feel with your feet. Peter, if you want to walk on water, you're going to have to watch Jesus with your eyes, balance with your hands, and you're going to have to feel it with your feet. Guys, if you want to bring that cluster of grapes back from Canaan, you're going to have to watch with your eyes, balance with your hands, and feel with your feet. Leading worship with our feet. I don't even know what that means. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to talk to you tonight. Because I don't know what that means. But it means something for every one of us. And God's going to talk to us and help us to understand. When you walk it with your feet, you can feel the weight that's on the meeting. Glory means weightiness. And when you're carrying it on your shoulders, you can actually feel the weight of the glory that God is giving in the meeting. Because every meeting has its own dispensation of glory. Sometimes sometimes there's nothing, sometimes there's something. And, and when you've got it on a cart, you can't feel it. When you've got it on a cart, you don't know what you've got. And when you put your worship service on a cart, you don't even know what you got. You think you got something cooking, and God goes, you ain't even got nothing on that cart. And then, when the glory comes on it, you don't know it. Because you got it on a cart. You got to put it on your shoulders and feel with your feet so that you can desert. Oh, we just got something in this meeting. You've got to discern when something comes on a meeting. Get it on your shoulders and you can feel the weight with your feet. Okay, let me ask another question. Gracie, what does that mean to take six paces and stop? The second time around, the first time didn't go so well. Second. 
second time around, David consults the due order. They put the ark on poles. They carry it for Levites. And the scripture says, here's our verse, 2 Samuel 6, verse 13. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So here's the question I have to ask. What does it mean to take six paces and stop? I don't have an answer for that, but I'm going to tell you what it's not. It's not a cart. It's the opposite of a cart. A cart is... This is the opposite of a cart. Take six paces and stop. This is rough. This is halting. This is herky-jerky. It's stop and go. It's awkward. It's tentative. It's faltering. It's gear-grinding. Pastors don't like it. Churches don't like it. You don't like it because it's rough and halting. It's the opposite of momentum and it's the opposite of smooth. And God goes, well, actually, I think it is smooth. It's rough to you and it's smooth to me. Listen. The cart with wheels never even got to Zion. Six paces and stop. Six paces and stop. And they got to Zion. I want you to think right now about everything that worship leaders do. I made myself a list of some of the stuff that worship leaders do. By the time I'm finished this list, the worship leaders in the room are going to be depressed. It's like, yeah, I do do all of that. It's really quite an impressive undertaking. I mean, just think about, Mitch, everything that worship leaders do. Well, first of all, we're trying to play the right chords, and then we're trying to sing the right melody. Then we're trying to get the lyrics right. We're trying to get the voicing, soprano, alto, tenor, get that right. Play the right inversions. I was enjoying the bass guy. He's got some sweet inversions on that bass tonight. The syncopations and the rhythms, and then you're trying to control your pitch, and you're trying to control your vibrato. Then you're fiddling with your laptop to get that software just so, and then you're fostering team cohesiveness because you want your team to have a sense of team. And so you're looking at one another, you're catching each other's eyes and melting a few things, but you know, that, that nod and that, yeah. And, and, and you've got, you get, you're, you're building the synergy of the team and, and then you're managing congregational involvement because you're like, are they watching or are they worshiping? Oh, I think we're losing them right now. What do we need to do about this? Maybe I need to do an exhortation. Maybe we 
need to, maybe we need to yell at him or something. And, and, and we're trying to figure out what, what are we going to do because we're trying to keep the, the, the congregation engaged. Plus, we're, we're trying to balance our, our, our rebalancing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And Holy Spirit, I'm following you because I'm whatever you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Plus, I'm watching the clock. And on top of all that, I'm engaging with Jesus myself. Because you're not a hireling. A hireling doesn't care if they worship. All they care about is that the people worship. A hireling is happy if everybody else worships. But you're not a hireling. And you're like, no, it's got to be real for me. It's got to be eye to eye, face to face, heart to heart. I'm not happy until it's coming out of my eyes, until it's coming out of my nose, until I'm prostrate on the ground. It's got to be heart, mind, soul, strength, Jesus. It's you and me. It's personal. It's all about you. And I'm not satisfied until I've got this this, this, this sacrifice that just poured out at the feet of Jesus. How is a worship leader supposed to do all of that? I only know one way to do it. Take six paces and stop. If you want a worship concert, get yourself a good Philistine card. If you want to move through a set list, get yourself a good Philistine card. But if you want spirit and truth, if you want to connect with Jesus, if you want a heart that's open, unveiled face, affection poured out, love for the Lamb of God, then take six paces and stop. When you take six paces and stop, you're making room for glory. Did you know that you have to make room for glory? When Jesus comes to the house and he wants to show his glory, he wants to raise the girl from the dead. But he says, we got to get rid of all this clutter. There's too much noise and there's too much clutter. And Jesus says, make room. That is a quote, by the way, that is Matthew chapter 9, verse 24. Jesus goes, make room. Because if you're going to have resurrection, you got to make room for resurrection. If you're going to have glory, you've got to make room for glory. How do you make room for glory? Well, take six paces and stop. And make room for glory. Too much clutter, too much noise, too much going on. Make room for glory. Watching with our eyes, balancing with our hands, and feeling with our feet. Ephesians 6.15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have it for the screen. I think it's coming. Ephesians 6.15. I just want to point out if they've got the verse for us. <clears throat> I think it's coming. <clears throat> 
said, Ephesians 6, 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shoes are not shoes of peace. Look at the verse again. Having your, your feet shod with the preparation. It's the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your shoes are your preparation. I believe in getting your shoes on. If you're a worship leader, get your shoes on. Practice. Come to the meeting with the set list. Be prepared. If you're a preacher, get your shoes on. Whatever your calling, whatever your post, get your shoes on. If you go to the meeting unprepared, you are a soldier going to battle without your shoes. Get your shoes on. But when God leads you onto holy ground, you can take your shoes off. are shoes of peace. That translation is not working for me. I'm a new King James guy. <clears throat> the shoes are shoes of preparation. We have a generation of worship leaders right now in the earth. They know how to put their shoes of preparation on, but they don't know when to take them off. And I just want to say something to all the worship leaders of the world right now. If I could just get in front of all the worship leaders of the world. When you get in glory, you can take your shoes off. When he leads you onto holy ground, you can take your shoes off. Because when you get in the glory, there is nothing about your preparation that will help you right now. Because your preparation, you cannot prepare for glory. I don't care how long you pray. I don't care if you fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. You cannot prepare for glory. All you can do when glory shows up is take six paces. There is no preparation for glory. And when glory shows up, all you can do is one step at a time. My goodness, Lord Jesus, what am I going to do right now? We, David gets up tonight and he goes, I don't know what we're going to do right now because we're here right now. But where are we going to go? Like, what, what, what's next? Because when you get in glory, you aren't, you can't be prepared for it. All you can, there comes a time when it's appropriate to take your shoes off. There's a time when you kick aside your preparation and you go, Lord, I don't know how to steward this moment, but I'm taking my shoes off. Putting my preparation aside so that I can walk and feel and move with the Holy Spirit in the moment. Texas, 
your shoes on and then learn when it's time to take them off. So you want to learn to dance with the Creator? Look at what the Creator did at creation. He took six paces and stopped. Okay, I'm going to have a long altar call tonight. The altar call is now starting. So from this moment on, you can come forward and, and come to the altar. If, By the way, if somebody comes to the altar tonight with their shoes off, it's because they're consecrating their feet to Jesus Christ tonight. So there's, there's going to be some holy consecration going on here tonight. We're going to come and give our feet to the Lord. And you can start right now, anytime you want. For the next several minutes, the altar call is happening. It's going to be an elongated altar call, and you just respond to the Lord and bring your feet up here whenever you want to. Because uh, I think somebody might just want to wash the feet of Jesus tonight. You know, it occur occurred to me today, just this afternoon, it just occurred to me, I was like, you know what? When Mary of Bethany washed the feet of Jesus, it was six days before the crucifixion. She anointed the feet of Jesus. He took six paces and stopped. And they sat. She anointed his body for burial. He took six paces and he stopped because they put nails in his feet. Jesus, we love your feet. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. The beautiful feet of Jesus that today has nail scars because you took six paces and you stopped. To tell a story. I was in Colorado Springs back in May of 2020, just about the time that you were getting your thing from the Lord there, David. I was in Colorado Springs, and it was a worship event. Now, I don't know if you can remember what it was like in May of 2020. If you can get your, you know, it was, the body of Christ was tight. It was tight, and nobody was having events. Events like this did not exist. It was it was 2020, and I get a I get a call from a friend of mine out in Colorado Springs. His name is Brian. Maybe you know Brian Ming. His name is Brian. Brian contacts me. He says, "We feel from the Lord that we are to convene a worship conference in May of this year." Well, COVID has just busted loose and nobody is doing anything and they feel this thing from the Lord to hold a worship conference May of 2020 and I'm like bro that is bold <laughs> yes I'm coming <laughs> I got COVID at the conference it's one of the, my favorite parts of the whole story. It's just so ironic. I got COVID at the conference. I love it. So I go to this conference, May of 2020. 
there. It was the second night of the conference, and there's a couple ministering in worship. Their names are Paul and Hannah McClure. Maybe a little bit of name recognition. Somebody might recognize. Paul and Hannah McClure are with Bethel Music, and they had been invited to come and lead worship that night. And so they're leading worship, and Paul, he's over here. He's got the guitar, and Hannah, his wife, is a singer, and she's standing here, and she's singing, they're singing together. And they get in this song uh, by Sarah McMillan, King of My Heart. You are good. You are good. You'll never let me down. And, and now... Let me just give you the context. None of us have been to an event for like two years. Wait a second. This was 2021. Let me get the date right. 2021. None of us have been to an event for two years. We are like just so happy to be together. Everybody's a little, little bit giddy. You know, like we're actually together. And there, there was about 400, 450 people at the event. And we were just really happy just to be together. And the Lord was honoring it. There was a sense like, you know, I, I think we've got the smile of Jesus on this event because the presence of God was really sweet. It's the second or third night. And Paul, they're leading this song, You Are Good, You Are Good. And we are like, if, if, you know, it's ankle deep, it's knee deep, it's waist deep, it's waters to swim in. I'm going to put it around waist deep. It was good. We are enjoying the presence of the Lord. And this thing is, it, it, it's, it's sweet. You'll never let me down. You are good. In the middle of Sarah McMillan's hymn, Hannah starts to sing a song. I think the psalm police were not there that night because this psalm is not part of the hymn, but she just throws it in there. Psalm 23. And she starts to sing, same melody, same chords, but she's now throwing a psalm into the mix. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then they go back to the hymn, you are good, you are good. And then she comes back to the psalm again. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And as she's singing the psalm, you can feel the water water level, which is kind of like the sauce was on the psalm. And they started to ping pong back and forth between the hymn and the psalm. And every time we got to the psalm, you could feel the energy was on the psalm. Brian, my friend, the host of the event, gets up and shuts the whole thing down. He gets up, grabs a mic, and stops the whole thing. And I'm like, bro, we're right here. What are you doing? He grabs a mic, and he goes, if there's anyone in the room that has been diagnosed with a life-threatening condition, I invite you to come up here and sing the psalm that Hannah is singing, Psalm 23. I invite you to sing it on my microphone. 
realm of 400, 450 people. I'm going to guess 20, 25. I didn't get a count, but something like that. Uh, uh, some people started to stream forward, diagnosed with life-threatening conditions. This woman, she's the first one in line. Brian goes, sing the song. She's not going to sing the song. Sing the song. No. Sing the song. And she goes, I can't sing. And Brian's like, I don't care. Sing the song. He jams the mic in her mouth <laughs> and will not leave her alone. She starts to sing Psalm 23. And when she started to sing Psalm 23, everybody in the room goes, you're right, you can't sing. <laughs> this gal was not flat. She was not sharp. She was in another, <laughs> another zip code. It was this monotone incantation that didn't sound anything like singing. It was like a guttural, you know, speaking the words. And I'm giving you my testimony. When she opened her mouth and gutturally began to speak on the microphone, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm giving you my testimony. A wave of the Holy Spirit crashed into that room, and we were, all of us, instantly in swimming depth waters. We're in glory. We didn't even know what to do with it. You can't prepare for this. The pastors didn't even know what to do with the moment. A spirit of faith erupted in the room. It was the kind of atmosphere where you could expect anything to happen in this kind of a context. Because it... it and I'm like, God... Why did you enjoy that moment? One brother said to me afterwards, he says, I saw 600 angels move into the room in that moment. I don't know if that's true. I did not see 600 angels. All I know is we were swimming in the river of God. Why did that happen in that manner? Well, I've got one theory. We took six paces and stopped. I want to point the altar calls happening if you want to bring your feet up here anytime you can do it it's right now is the altar call first samuel 6 14 what they did with the philistine cart first samuel 6 14 here's what they did to the philistine cart So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. They took axes to the cart and they split the cart. It was violent. And some there, 
hurt. Somebody needs to take an axe to a cart and split the thing up and make a sacrifice to God. Let the Lord talk to you right now. What do you need to be violent about? Is there something that you need to be violent about in your life? Let the Lord talk to you about it. Take an axe. I'm not a driver of the presence. I'm a carrier of the presence. And I'm going to do something violent to this cart. You may not need your shoes if you come forward. We're going to be offering our feet to the Lord. If you want to dance with the creator, you've got to watch with your eyes. You've got to balance with your hands. And you've got to feel with your feet. I can't take an axe to your cart. You're the only person that can take an axe to your cart. But I want to do something tonight that is about as violent as I know to do. I want to break some things off of some people in the room tonight. I'm going to exercise my faith and I'm going to break some things in the name of Jesus off some people tonight. And I need D-Lo. Where's D-Lo? Get on your drums there, bro. Uh, and David and Nicole know this, but I'm just going to explain. I want everybody to understand how it works for me. Because of my vocal limitation, while I'm talking, I need them to not do music. So when the music starts, I'm finished. So if you don't mind, I'm going to talk and finish and then the music will happen, okay? I know that the atmosphere would be groovier if I was talking over the music, but that's just the limitation I work with. It's not very smooth. And uh, David and Nicole, at, in whatever way the Lord leads you to take this, once the drums start, I'm finished and just take six paces. Dilo, here's what I want you to do. In a few moments, I'm going to break this stick over my knee. And when I break it over my knee, I want you to hit the drums hard and prophesy for a couple minutes. Okay, just prophesy on the drums. And then uh, when, when he hits the drums, I'm finished and whatever God is going to do, we'll just, we'll just take six. We don't know what to do right now. We're just going to take six paces and stop. So when I break the stick, now I, I know it's a little bit weird to break a stick. But here's what's in my heart. I'm asking God to break some things off some people in this room tonight. And by faith, I am asking God that when I break that stick and when D-Lo hits the drums, that there will be a breaking of some things tonight in the Holy Spirit. And some. Uh, it's going to be, I'm trusting the Lord in the Spirit to do something violent. I can't break your cart for you, but I can, by the authority of the Holy Spirit, break some things off of you.
you. So when I, when I break that stick in just a few moments, here's some things that I'm asking God to break off of people in the room tonight. I am asking God that he would break off of you the lie that says you have to keep your shoes on. There is a lie in the body of Christ that is telling our worship leaders that you've got to stay with your preparation. You can't deviate from your preparation. And I'm over here going, when you get on holy ground, you can take your shoes off. And I'm breaking off the lie that says, I can't take my shoes off. And in Jesus' name, I am saying, yes, you can. You can take your shoes off at the right moment. When you enter the glory, you can take your shoes off. When it's holy ground, you can take your shoes off. And I break that lie in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, when I break this stick, I am breaking off of somebody in this room a YouTube playlist model of worship. We have a YouTube playlist model of worship that is actually on a cart. When you watch worship on YouTube, you're watching a cart. That thing just goes it rolls along and it is exporting to, and I, I actually love worship on YouTube. I've, that's not my issue. But we have, because of YouTube, internationally now around the world, the churches of the world are following a YouTube model of track one, track two, track three, track four, and we're doing one song after another. And whether you stay home and watch it on the webcast or come to the house makes no difference because you're going to have the same experience whether you're in the house or whether you're watching it online because it's a Philistine cart and God never intended for corporate worship to be something that can be watched through a screen and experienced on a screen the same thing as you experience in the room. He wants it to be so real, so vital, so energetic, so organic, so alive in the Holy Spirit that we say to the people that stayed home to watch the webcast, you missed it. Because God was in the house. We took six paces and stopped, and we had glory in the house, the presence of God. And I just want to say, I break off of you a YouTube model of corporate worship that says it's four songs, and I break it off of you in Jesus' name. Something else I want to break off of you when I break break this stick. I want to break off of you the burden of competing with YouTube showreels. 
we have world-class leaders putting their show reels on YouTube. We look at the momentum. We look at the energy. And we go, oh my goodness, that's what I want in my church. And the thing just rolls right along on YouTube. And we look at the cart and we compete with their YouTube cart. And I break off of you the burden of competing with YouTube show reels because it's not real. It's as real as Instagram. It is not real. It's highlights. It's show reels. I'll tell you what is real. Take six pieces and stop. That's real. They're not going to do that on YouTube, but that's real. And I release you from the burden of comparing yourself to YouTube show reels. In Jesus' name, it's broken off of you. I break off of you the tyranny of smooth. We have this idea in the body of Christ that if we follow the Holy Spirit, the worship service will be smooth. And friends, it is a Philistine court. And I'm breaking off of you the burden of smooth. And I'm saying to your spirit right now, it doesn't have to be smooth. In Jesus' name, I'm breaking off of you the burden of smooth. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Church.